welcome to another Ramblings with Elijah, Graham and Jeff. How are you doing, guys? Oh, brilliant. Doing fantastic. Excellent. That's all right to hear. Now, in this episode, we're going way back. We're going all prehistoric as we talk dinosaurs. Because one of the big hits of the summer so far has been Jurassic World Dominion. Humans and dinosaurs can't coexist. We created an ecological disaster. Alan Grant. You didn't come out all this way just to catch up now, did you? You coming or what? We're racing toward the extinction of our species. We not only lack dominion over nature, we're subordinate to it. We've all seen it, so let's get the views. Elijah, what did you think? Um, I had a great time. I wasn't going in there expecting Oscar-worthy stuff. <laughs> no. So it was fun to watch. There were dinosaurs. I really appreciated they brought in, like, the first two Jurassic Worlds are all about the fake dinosaurs that they invented. This one has, like, all real ones from history. And it has dinosaurs eating people and dinosaurs destroying things. What more do you want? What did you think, Graham? I loved it. And we went and saw it together. And I actually thought it was great. It's not very mind-stretching. Dinosaurs chasing people on motorbikes and in the air. And it, it, yeah, you had an evil CEO. What more could you ask for? Sure. <laughs> Total fiction. <laughs> um, one of the criticisms of this film, and because it's bringing elements from all of the other five Jurassic films into this, so it's trying to give a complete ending to the whole thing. A lot of critics have said, well, it's overstuffed. There's too much going on. Elijah, did you think that? Or did you think, that ah, just rattles along this one? There were a lot of subplots, but I think that they brought all the subplots, you know, they, they kind of worked towards bring everything into the plot. They're not amazing. They could have been done better, but I had a good time. It was fine. And Graham, did you like the way the ending came in? You know, the, the overall villain, although we've not seen him in the other five, dies. Yes. <laughs> the same way as his traitor in number one with the same dinosaur spitting in his face. Yeah, that was quite fun. I mean, I, I like the fact that he got his just desserts, but also he had the little can of shaving foam from the first film, from the first guy who died. Yeah, it all tied together nicely. It was very overstuffed with subplots, but yeah, it was just, it did rattle along, as you said, Jeff. It did. I, I wasn't bored. <laughs> no, no, there was uh, there was quite a lot going on. And Elijah, great to see all those actors back. You know, Jeff Goldblum, Laura Dern, Sam Neill. Yeah, they were all really, really fun to watch. And it felt like they were back in their characters, too. Yes. Yeah, and, and they all had their own little heroic moments, didn't they? Yes. That was one concern. You get, like, a, some movies where Chris Pratt's the hero character, the action hero. But you get some of these movies where, you know, they cast the action hero, and then it turns out that they take him out at the knees and he's like has to be rescued and saved and all this kind of stuff and in this one like well that does happen on occasion he's still the action hero and everyone else you know is just in that team with him they all have their moments to shine you know from the the original cast of jurassic park to the the new people in um introducing this film 
I thought they did a really good job of balancing all of that. They certainly did. And Graham, for me, DeWanda Wise as the um, that's the girl talking pilot just almost stole the film. She was so good. Yeah, she was uh, Indiana Jones with boobs. Great. I didn't quite see it that way, but I see where you're coming from. I, I just love the line when she said, Chris Pratt, you've got a thing for redheads, so have I. That brilliant line. <laughs> yes, it was fun. Yeah, she was great. She was great. In fact, and Jeff Goldblum, again, I just he just makes me roar with laughter. But all his old catchphrases from the first couple of movies were in there, and he was able to to fit them into the, uh, or shoehorn them into the plot. It was great. Elijah, best dinosaur? T-Rex, always. Graham? I liked the feathered one with a massive claw that just ripped people in half. I haven't looked up to find out what it was or whether it was a uh, it's, um, No, it's a real one. It's a real one. You know, the, the it's fact... like a, a Therizontosaurus or something. Okay, made it Uposaurus. Yeah. yeah. Pterosaurus. <laughs> <laughs> tear you to pieces asaurus yeah that was pretty scary and i loved that bit with her under the water and it sort of hovering above her that was a great great shot lots of peril and threat in that for me it's the velociraptor good yeah. to see bit of bond in there as well which i thought was quite good now it is a film stuffed full of action scenes which action scene stood out for you as the best graham oh the chase on the bikes i thought that was great I really enjoyed that. They're whizzing through the streets. So you have these ancient creatures that were chasing down a modern day human on a modern day bike. And, and that was just so well shot. And then they kept jumping between that and the other uh, Velociraptors chasing the girls in the truck. It was just, yeah, great, great scene. I was it rattled along. What about you, Elijah? That's same, same, same action sequence. God, we're all going to be boring because I'm going to say the same thing as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it is the central central action scene. It's the chase sequence. It's the one that is the most entertaining in all aspects because it's kind of hitting you with on the, the different characters and the most people get eaten in that sequence. Very close to getting eaten. That yeah. was the thing. The, the teeth were just snapping just inches from them. One thing I like is that, you know, when the French intelligence agents are all like, the crazy raptors are let out of their cages. They've got their guns on them. Like, what do we do? Like, <laughs> just shoot them. <laughs> yeah. Yes, let's have more exposition. It's like, yeah, dinosaurs, if they're anything like emus, can probably handle their fair share of bullets. Yeah. But they're not unkillable. No. No. Run away from them as fast as possible on a motorbike would be my preferred solution to that. <laughs> Although, talking of getting away from them, I thought the scene where Bryce Dallas Howard, who's parachuted down, come off this huge dinosaur behind her and she goes under the water and you don't see the dinosaur for a lot of it. You see just the feet yes. to get, you know, get the size of it. And I thought that was a brilliant sequence. That was, a, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I yeah. like the fight on the ice as well. Where, oh yes, yes, and, and where the dinosaur goes under the ice and then turns into like a shark, and our lead man says, "Oh, come on!" <laughs> so was that a real dinosaur as well, Elijah? The, the so the one with the gigantic claws. Yeah, the one that yeah goes under the ice and is able to. Oh, the one that the feather one that goes under the ice. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know if they classified what that one was. Yeah. I don't remember. It was pretty good. But Chris Pratt worked really well. With the new girl on... Uh, Dewanda Wise. Dewanda Wise, yes. And what's interesting, I mean, 
we all liked it, so I think that's a good sign of a summer blockbuster. But there's so much in it, so so many good action scenes. So more so, I think it's it's a sum of its parts rather than an ov- overall feature. You know, it, it's got something for everybody. And I think that's a great deal of fun. And I had a whale of a time. Well, not whale. More like no, a mosasaur no. of a time. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. So we've got a hit with a dinosaur movie. Big question. We've got a ramble here. Elijah. Oh, it was the Pyroraptor. Oh, Pyroraptor. What is that? Is that what the thing that went under the water? Yeah. And the oh. the big one with the gigantic claws. Yes. It's actually an herbivore. And it's, yeah, it is the Therizinosaurus. Or Therizinosaurus. It's, it's a herbivore. Okay. How does that work, man? He was going to take her head off. Yeah. yeah. Missing its nail clippers on that. Yeah. Um, so I couldn't find any in Mongolia. That was a problem. Uh, yeah. Right. Okay. So we all liked it. Dinosaur film, hit of the summer. Let's put the Jurassic films to one side for a moment. And I'm going to start with you, Elijah. What other dinosaur films over the years have impressed you? Um, let's see. I made a list. Oh, wow. Um, when I was a kid, I loved Dinosaur. Ah, yes. The Disney 2000 film. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the full full CGI back when that, you know, wasn't a thing that they did a lot of. No, no. Not to be um, confused with The Good Dinosaur from Pixar. Dinosaur is the better movie, not The Good yeah, Dinosaur. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Good Dinosaur doesn't even make it on the list. It doesn't quite hold up today perfectly, but it's still uh, entertaining. I must go back, and I haven't watched it in about 15 years, so I'll go back and have a look at that. Yeah, but also King Kong. Yep. Some of the best T-Rexes, uh, uh, Peter Jackson's. Okay. Like the sequence where King Kong takes on the three three T-Rexes is just amazing. I love that sequence to death. Yeah, the the original also um, had a, a good dinosaur sequence back in 1933. Obviously yeah, he, uh, he replicated it. Yeah. At the very end, you know, the, the climactic moment where he destroys a final T-Rex, he does the, he recreated that shot from the original King Kong. I did not know that. What else is on that list? Ice Age 3, Dawn of the Dinosaurs. <laughs> I see you have a soft spot for the animated dinosaurs. Yes, yes. It's great. It's, it's so stupid. The, the Ice Age films, like the first one is just a great adventure movie. Yes. The second one is kind of just like a buddy, like what the um, Wild Hogs is. You know, the they guys are going on an adventure together. You know, just no, no real plot. They're just like headed to some distant point because the the, the water is there. But it, it, it ends up being really entertaining. They bring in a lot of really great characters. The French dubbing is amazing, and it's better in French than in English. Okay. I mean, Graham, you're a fan of the Ice Age movies as well, aren't you? What's that yeah. character, Scrat, always looking for his nuts? <laughs> well, I could tell him where to find them. But... <laughs> so the guys at Blue Sky, when their studio is getting dissolved, they made a final sequence where Scrat gets the nut. Oh, wow. Is that on YouTube? It is. Oh, we'll look for that. It's beautiful. I had a tear. (laughs) Before I go back to Elijah, have you got any particular dinosaur films that's impressed you over the years, Graham? Well, back to that age, so you might be not (laughs) you. Well, interestingly, I grew up in an age where you could go and see dinosaurs in museums, but they were just all bones. You know, nobody ever put any flesh on them. So when I actually saw the David Attenborough did Walking with Dinosaurs mm. in the UK, I was 
blown away absolutely it was incredible because you got to see them fleshed out you got some decent idea of what they looked like you got a complete history of when they found them and what they were like and the, what we believe their social groups were. It, was, it really, I'm going to use a really bad dad joke, it really fleshed them out from their skeletons. <laughs> I'm going to pay for that, aren't I, Jeff? That's a you shock. Are. That's a Don't shock. worry. Pardon. Something's coming your way. Don't <laughs> you worry. Elijah, after that awful pun, what, what else guys, is on uh, uh, Dinotopia. Dinotopia? I haven't seen that. Is it it's, good? It is actually. It, it attempted to do something in TV that didn't happen back then. I can't remember when when it was made, but it seems fairly long ago. Oh, two thousand two. Okay. Yeah. So, like, they didn't have the biggest budget, but they did a really good job for two thousand two of creating this story where there's this like ancient lost island where dinosaurs and humans kind of coexist and it has fantasy elements with steampunk style stuff and it's really one of those stories that sparks the imagination at least for me as a kid when i was watching it yeah okay adventure family fantasy sci-fi yes that looks oh okay that looks pretty fun i want to get the books oh it's based on some books is it because mm-hmm. it was arthur conan doyle's lost world was it yeah i remember that from 50 50- Nine on I saw it on TV some years yes. later, not in fifty nine. I was gonna say when, when they had too early um, for you, yeah, yeah. The special effects were lizards with, with gills uh, super glued onto them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're heading out of this world by jet airliner, by hydroplane, by helicopter, into the wildest of all jungles, into the forbidding headwaters of the Amazon. With Michael Rennie. Jill St. John, David Hedison, Claude Rains, Fernando Lamas, and Frosty the Poodle, as they discover a primitive world exactly the way it was at the dawn of time, in the most fantastic of adventure stories. For me, this story started three years ago when Burton White came to me. He told me of how in some Indian village out here in the jungle, he'd met a fever-stricken white man who babbled on about a plateau with monsters and diamonds oh and the, yes that's right they had fins yeah. super glued onto them oh what yeah yeah reminds me of that joke in scrooged how do we get the antlers onto the mouse you just staples <laughs> <laughs> right now we've lost all the pet loving audience with that remark <laughs> excellent um have you got any others graham on your list Apart from the, the Lost World, which I thought was great, nope, not really. It wasn't. Okay. Elijah, anything else? Oh, just the uh, the most recent Prehistoric Planet, narrated by David Attenborough. Yes, yes, yes. That's on Apple TV, isn't it? Yes, it, it is. is. The is final season, the final episode. Oh, my gosh. So it it's so good that it's hard to find out what is CGI and what isn't. Oh, wow. Really? Like, I don't know if they're CGIing the environments or not. But they do such a good job of blending the two. I mean, I'm sure a visual effects person could, you know, figure it out right away, but they do an excellent, excellent job of bringing the dinosaurs to life. I'm going to put that Apple TV show on. Tell my wife it's a documentary filmed in Central America. Well, part of it is. So there's a a sequence with the Carnotaur, and I tweeted out that it was, you know, that everyone mocks the T-Rex arms for being tiny. Yep. 
but the Carnotaur has just these little flappy nothings. And the way that they use them in the show, I died laughing. I had to stop it, go back and watch it a couple more times because it is phenomenal. Oh, wow. Okay. Don't tell me anymore. I'm really, I'm invested now. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like I joked about the, the arms being tiny and useless. And then what they do with this, it's, oh my gosh, it's great. Oh, brilliant. So I've got a couple for you. Valley of Guanji, Ray oh, Harry Harrison. Yes, yes, Ray Cowboys Harry. against Dinosaurs. Very good from 67, I think. One of these valleys in the Midwest they find with dinosaurs in them, as you do. And uh, the cowboys go into battle against them. Great fun. Really. <laughs> Just down the road from you, Elijah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> go on a dinosaur hunt. And two from mid-70s Britain both based on Edgar Rice Burroughs' books, The Land Before Time and The People Before Time, with Doug McClure. And in the sequel, it was Patrick Wayne, John Wayne's son. So they find the mythical land of Pellucidor during World Pellucidar. War I. Pellucidar. Pellucidar, I beg your pardon. And, Get uh, your Edgar Rice Burroughs straight. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, they're really cheap films, but storytelling is great. And the one film, the coming-of-age dinosaur film, is One Million Years B.C. When you watch it when you're a little kid, you say, oh, look at those fantastic dinosaurs. And then somebody <laughs> says, what about the woman? What woman? And then when you come of a certain age, wow, that's Raquel Welch. What about the dinosaurs? What dinosaurs? Yeah, that's some great ones. And uh, anybody listening, if you've got any others, please let us know. Okay, Elijah, I've got another question for you. Shoot. Is it right there's a new animated Lord of the Rings film coming? Yes. What is it? What can you tell us about it? So, okay, the creative team behind it is mostly made up of people who worked on the uh, Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings. So Philippa Boyens, who is a script writer, she did a ton of work on the, the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings. She's the producer. I think her daughter is writing the script or in, in on the team writing the scripts for it. It's got John Howe and Alan Lee returning to be the art directors, forgetting the name of the guy who's there to help with the uh, the effects supervisor. It looks like it's going to be amazing. It's 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 um, going to be anime. What's it called? It's called The War of the Rohirrim. In Lord of the Rings, when they're in Helm's Deep, they have the, the horn, there's that line where it says, yeah. the horn of Helm Hammerhand will, will sound again in the deep. So Helm Hammerhand was a king of... Um, Rohan, he wanted to force Helm to marry uh, his daughter to his son, or Helm's daughter to his son. Helm essentially punched him to death. Oh, it's a family <laughs> so, drama. Then. Yeah, so <laughs> the son of the guy he killed ends up allying with the Corsairs of Umbar. They get some Haradrim and the Dunlendings, which you see a little bit in Lord of the Rings, a lot more in the films, you see a lot more of them in the books. But they essentially, you know, start this giant war and you have some people from Rohan that are still in uh, in Edoras and Helm and his people go to Helm's Deep before it's called Helm's Deep. And there they're under siege uh, through a long winter. I mean, Helm, uh, Helm would would blow a horn and then he would he would leave the fortress and he would go out and he would just beat a bunch of people to death with his bare hands. It was said that because he carried no weapon, no weapon could hurt him. Oh, right. And uh, eventually he, he uh, he's found frozen to death, you know, still in battle position. But like his whole line of succession gets wiped out in that war. 
and his uh, finally the the siege for the Dunlendings, all that is ended by his nephew and Rohan wins the day. And I think Gondor shows up to help at the end too, but it's a great, great story full of drama. There's not a whole lot of detail about it, but you've got all the plot beats to hit. And as long as you hit those beats, then you're going to be telling the story that Tolkien told, even though you have to put in all the, the little character moments and the, the uh, other drama and, and dialogue that he never wrote, you're still writing it within his story structure. Unlike the Rings of Power. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, I famously stayed away from that. But, I mean, Lord of the Rings and animation aren't things that have gone together well in the past. Are you confident yeah, yep. that this one will work? Yes, I'm confident because of the, the team behind it, uh, with Alan Lee and John Howe, they're going to make it look like Middle-Earth. Because they have defined what Middle Earth looks like for the past who knows how many years. For at least for my generation, like I can't think of a Middle Earth that doesn't look like John Howe yes. or what John Howe and Alan Lee have, have, have yeah. painted and drawn and sketched out and, and fashioned. And they're the driving visual force behind at least the the settings and what the characters will be wearing. But then on top of that, you have a modern anime style that I assume is going to be on the budget is going to be incredibly smooth and stunning. It's set 183 years before the Lord of the Rings films. So that's interesting. And I see some of the writers, yeah, some of the writers were involved in the Dark Crystal follow-up. Oh, right. okay. oh, that's right. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah, Age of Resistance. So this film doesn't come out till December 2023. So there's a lot of work still to do in it. So the Amazon series could be well forgotten by then. One of the first concept arts is John Howe painting a uh, a Mumakil taking down the walls of Edoras, wow. which is just awesome. At first, when I saw that, I'm like, yeah, is that, would that be lore accurate? Is that breaking, you know, the idea? Then I went back through and saw that, like, you've got the the Haradrim present, at least in, a, in some capacity. So it's not beyond the stretch of reason that they would have brought a war elephant or two. Okay. And it would just make for some incredible visuals. I mean... That sequence in The Return of the King is one of the best in a film full of incredible sequences. Well, you've sold me. I'm looking forward to this now. Yeah, yeah, me too. Me too. Could it be terrible? Sure. You can only go on the people that are making it at this stage. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what we've been shown so far. Oh, oh, yeah, they're bringing back Miranda Otto, who voiced yes. Eowyn, or yes. who, who portrayed Eowyn. She's voicing Eowyn as the narrator of the story. Yes. And Brian Cox is is um, going to be voicing Helm Hammerhand, which you can never get too many Scottish actors in Middle Earth. Yeah. Either of you read any of Brian Cox's autobiography? Oh, no. Nope. You know where some people say, well, I was on this film. I didn't have a good time with it. Really, I'm not going to say any more. He does say more. Uh, and it was terrible. He talks a lot about playing Hannibal Lecter because he played it in Manhunter. I want you to help me, Dr. Lecter. I thought so. It's about Atlanta and Birmingham. Yes? You read about it? In the papers. I don't tear out the articles. I wouldn't want them to think I was dwelling on anything morbid. You want to know how he's choosing them, don't you? I thought you might have some ideas. Why should I tell you? You get to see the file in this case. And there's another reason. Pray tell. But you might be curious to see if you're smarter than the person I'm looking for. Then by implication, you think you're smarter than me since you caught me. No. I know that I'm not smarter than you. 
Then how did you catch me, Will? You had disadvantages. What disadvantages? You're insane. And he says, yeah, I wasn't asked back to do it. And he said, and I'm great friends with Anthony Hopkins. But he said, I can tell you now, that's one conversation we've never had about who we thought was the better as Hannibal Lecter. Something you just got to do to maintain your friendships. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Although there's there's a, a lot of crash and burn people on this that uh, he won't ever be working with again, or he wouldn't want to work with. Johnny Depp is in there as well. So uh, he good or bad, uh, he wasn't impressed. Ah. <laughs> so um, you've you've got a, a fellow warrior, Elijah, here in the UK. Um, I went in to see my local bookshop, and I know the manager there quite well. And I said, "Oh, have you heard about the Rings of Power?" And he says, "Don't start." Just don't start, Graham. He said, Hardfoots, Fallow Hides, Stewers. That's all you need to know. They only arrive in the third. third and I thought, oh, I've heard all this before. It's obviously a script. They left the veils of um, Anduin at the beginning of the third age. Come on. <laughs> you know? Well, they didn't leave there until Dol Guldur was built yeah. as a fortress for uh, for Sauron. Yes. Like, Come on. Yeah, so a lot of angry people, a lot of angry people in, in the book world as well. So Tolkien not only wrote a letter where he said they don't show up. Oh, did he? Oh, like he, in the letter, he said, I want to flesh out some of the earlier stories. And he really did that with the Silmarillion in the first age. The second age is a lot more sparse. He does goes into a detail with some of the Numenorean stories, um, with some aspects of the Forging of the Rings. Uh, Numenor's like full history. At least once in the appendices, and then again in the Silmarillion and the Akalabeth, um, which is just absolutely fantastic and brilliant in the way that he shows this race of essentially supermen. Yeah, go from you know they 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 worship Iluvatar, they're devout and righteous, and they go to Middle Earth and they like elevate men who is, treat them like gods because they 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 live for two to three hundred years, if not more. I think one of them lives up to 500. But then they start becoming jealous of the elves because they don't live forever. And they start being angry at God, essentially, or Eru Iluvatar, for not giving them the, the gift that he gave the elves when it says that he's given them the gift of death. They don't like it. So they stop worshiping on him on his mountain. They start becoming colonizers and oppressors to the peoples of Middle-earth. And then... Finally, you get Ar-Farazan, who comes and becomes king uh, by force. He forces the daughter of uh, Tar-Palantir, the, the last good king of Numenor, to marry him. Even though queens, like, if if the king had an eldest daughter, she would become queen. Oh, wow. Like, there was no idea of that, you mm -hmm. know, women couldn't be rulers in Numenor. Okay. But he, yeah, he forces her, and then they go into, like, all kinds of crazy, um, uh, they capture Sauron. He's like this Sauron's armies see the armies of Numenor and they're just like, mm, nope. <laughs> it's like Obi-Wan when he saw Darth Vader for the first time, you know, just hightails <laughs> it out. <laughs> Sauron eventually corrupts them to the point that they're having human sacrifices. They build a temple to essentially Satan, okay. um, Morgoth. Right. And it just shows this incredible destruction of this wonderful civilization that once was. But that takes place over 3,500 years, no, 3,000 years. Yeah. And it looks like they're shoving it into a generation in this show. And it just... Yep. Now, we may well do a special show on the Lord of the Rings season. When it it will be out. perpetuated by me asking the odd question and an elongated scream from Elijah. <laughs> you guys are going to force me to watch this. Um, Come on, you know you're going to watch you're it. You're going to have to watch it. I mean, I, I'm yeah. really worried about it. And I'm going to have to watch it, although I'm not looking forward to it. 
want to find like a bootleg copy in, in uh, Botswana <laughs> and watch it that way. So Amazon doesn't get any money. <laughs> well, you also got House of the Dragon at the same time, and who knows oh, what it's going to be like. Yeah. So in fact, pretty, I think it starts about a week before. Going to be a sword and sorcery autumn or fall. Well, that's an interesting ramble. We start with dinosaurs. We end up even further back in time, I suppose. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we've we, we now come full circle. So what are we going to talk about next? Elijah, are you going to watch uh, Watiki's Thor Love and Thunder? Um, maybe. <laughs> maybe. For this show, maybe. Yeah, uh, but, we'll do we'll do a ramble on that one. I think. Yeah, that's all right with you. Like I liked I like Watiti as a filmmaker. I just uh, the new Thor version of Thor is not my favorite. Okay, then I I think we'll get some interesting points. What we want is a Thor Lord of the Rings crossover. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it did come from a lot of it came from Norse mythology, so yeah, there's a lot of it in there. Okay. Uh-huh. Well, I'm sure we'll bring that into it then. <laughs> right. Time to relax. Time to have a evening beer where we are. Yep. Uh, I imagine you've got plenty to do there, Elijah. Yep. Got to work on my scabbards. Got to finish them up. <laughs> and there we go. So, um, <laughs> um, what age is is uh, Elijah living in? Then is he in the second age or the first? Age? <laughs> Making his scabbards. Yeah. Okay. Hey, I was gifted a sword, and it didn't have a scabbard, so I've got to make one. Do I have any clue what I'm doing? Absolutely not. I hate when that happens, when somebody just randomly gives you a sword. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah. So I've seen pictures of you at those Renaissance fair holding this massive sword. Is that a sword like that you're making a scabbard for? Um, no, that's my Highlander Claymore. And that one was made for cutting people in half. I got a long sword now. Just a, I can't find out exactly if it's Italian or German, but it would have been an Italian or German broadsword with a ring hilt. Those kind of Renaissance, it's right at the end of the, the medieval period, right at the beginning of that Renaissance era um, is when this sword would have, would have come about. It's got rings around the blade, or a ring around the blade, which makes it difficult to to get a sheath in. And I've never made a sheath before, so I have no clue what I'm doing. Okay. How... No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm actually so. So it's leather. I assume that this is going to be made out of. Is it? Nope. Wood. Wood. So it's going to be a, a piece that you're going to have to hollow out to get the sword no, into. No, no, two bits. Two bits. Yeah. Is so it? split the piece in half, and then I routered out the outline, and I've glued it back on, and then I've shaped it, but I didn't get a wide enough piece. So I have like some. I have some gaps near the top that I'm now gluing on a piece to. Hold on to that. I'm making another one for the Rondel dagger, not Bollock's dagger. <laughs> okay. And that one is being slightly more, uh, slightly easier. You should imagine, yes. <laughs> a few feet shorter. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Listeners, you've tuned in to listen about dinosaurs. We've now told you how to make sheaths for your sword. Scabbard, is it? Okay. Scabbard. Yeah, scabbard. Sheath yeah. is just the leather. All right. Okay. And the the lack of my knowledge showed through there in glowing terms. Yeah, right. You would think a Welshman would know more. Yeah. He learned a lot about moving rocks into the middle of Salisbury Plain. But... We'll talk next time about Dr. Price and the influence he had on Wales. Yes. When he tried to bring back the Druid religion. But that's another story. <laughs> oh, that would have been fun. Time. Uh, yes, it was uh, in- interesting. But, but they didn't that... find very many willing sacrifices. Uh, no, but he reintroduced cremation. It, it's oh. a long, it's a long story, and I think we'd leave it there for our listeners. <laughs> yes, uh, tune in next time to find out what happened next. 
Elijah, Graham, it's been great. Another fantastic ramble. I'll see you in a couple of episodes for Thor Love and Thunder. Cheers, guys. Thanks, Elijah. Cheers. Bye. Bye.